Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed of a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. How you doing, Adam? I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to reach a greater consciousness, but uh-huh. what's happening is that everything else that in my life or what I concentrate on has fallen apart in the process. What stage of the galaxy brain meme would you say you're at? Oh, I think it's just the little twinkles. That, oh no, that first stage, oh, yeah. buddy. Oh, <laughs> I think I think the reality is I'm at the little twinkle stage, <laughs> and I want to be laser beams, yeah, shooting out of of holes that don't exist in my head yet. Uh huh. Yeah, you want to be like multiple a, arms on a god coming out of your forehead. I want to be like a morning pee where it just shoots everywhere. <laughs> That's how I want my consciousness to be. I, I thought I'd give you a little update on what's going on in my life, Adam. Oh, yeah. Lay it on me. So I live uh, very close to Echo Park Lake in Los Angeles, California now. Yeah. And uh, that is a, a favorite place for me to walk my doggy. Mm-hmm. And as of this recording, it is goose reproduction season. So <laughs> the uh, the the geese have all paired off down at the lake and there's about five or six geese families. And, uh, you would be fucking shocked at how much variation there is in how many babies a pair of geese can produce. Cause there's one pair that's got two (laughs) babies and there's another pair that has like easily 15 babies. Whoa. And there's pairs with everything in between. And uh, the one pair with the two babies is like fucking crazy because they'll like I'll walk around that lake with my dog and one of them will like go out of its way to harass the dog like the uh-huh. dog is a threat to their babies. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had if you've ever been menaced by a goose, Adam. Oh yeah, they're they're real fuckers. Yeah, like like Darwin would for sure lose, even though he's got probably twenty pounds on this. On they are swan levels of asshole, but they are close. <laughs> oh man, I was so excited! I was watching uh, Real Housewives with my wife the other day, and uh, Lisa Vanderpump referred to the swans that live in front of her house as her two gay swans. I guess I'm like the old lady with a lot of cats. I have a lot of animals. Mm. (laughs) And their names are Hanky and Panky. Oh, sure. (laughs) I bet. Yeah. Jesus. That really made my day. (laughs) My favorite Judith B. Raskin quote on the park benches at Echo Park Lake is, Would you look at all these fucking geese? (laughs) (laughs) They poop everywhere, and I mean everywhere. The estate of Judith Raskin might be my favorite estate. Yeah. What a that, delight. That is a, that's a great lady. Yeah. Just wants people to enjoy scenery and birds. She's, uh, she was clearly the type of old that would just point things out as a, <laughs> as a mode of conversation. Edge tropical aquarium. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like the someone who in a car ride who would just read the signs of businesses to you. Mattress city. You want to yes and that, but there's, it's not really clear where you go after. Yeah. Donuts, donuts, donuts. You go to the next sign is what you do. <laughs> yeah. So is uh, is young Darwin uh, totally on point there? Like, does he want to attack and eat the little goslings, or uh, or is he pretty good about I, uh, the leash walking around there? No, he's definitely curious about you know barking at a goose. I just don't think he realizes how much trouble he'd be in if he actually did get in a, f- a scrape with a goose. Yeah, Goose would really fuck him up. They're really mean, and they do that thing where when they see him coming, their heads go, like, their necks go straight up, and they they open their beaks, and they're like, their little tongues are sticking straight out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, I don't want any part of that beak, but that, that tongue just looks silly, guys. Come on. 
those tongues really come in handy when they're having gay sex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's another thing that, like, I routinely see is, like, duck and goose banging. Like, I just had to give that one the full Norm MacDonald line read. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a, they don't even save it for the nighttime or the shadows. They're just openly copulating. and, And ducks are into some rough sex stuff man like a lot rougher than i've ever felt comfortable getting you'll see one duck just walking another duck uh, around on a leash and yeah. chain yeah yeah and it's like i i never thought a duck could get kinked out as dressing like a horse but that one sure did <laughs> there's a great uh, laundromat on capitol hill called lather daddy <laughs> cool like apropos of nothing but sort of what we were talking about. (laughs) Good times. Good times. Well, this has been an update from the lake. This is sort of like a a, a Judy Raskin uh, Marin Open. Just observational humor from the minds of Ben and Adam. (laughs) Let's bring this back as a bit. That's fun. Yeah. The the Raskin Open. The the Raskin Open. (laughs) <laughs> oh man when we go on tour do you think we'll be we'll we'll find ourselves doing raskins and not marins some some of the nights i think so because i think that's a lot of fun to do when you're out on tour is just uh share your pithy observation on the city that you've been in for only the last six or seven hours yeah what weird animals are walking around <laughs> what weird animals are fucking each other in broad daylight <laughs> Our tour of animal sexuality. Yeah, yeah. That's what the people want to see, you know? Yeah. That's obviously what we're experts in. We're also experts uh, at this point in Deep Space Nine, right? Does it take uh, <laughs> one and a half seasons to get there? Probably not. Boy, that was a mission log level transition, Adam. Yep. <laughs> I think we're experts. I don't feel like you're really getting it yet, Ben, but maybe you will later after we discuss season two, episode 13. Of Armageddon game. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. We open on the uh, one of the runabouts. It's kind of doing like a close formation orbit with a big, nasty-looking alien spaceship, and uh, Chief O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And Dr. Bashir have been dispatched to help a couple of alien species to dispose of a nasty biogenic weapon called Harvesters. Sort of a a tepid name for a dangerous bioweapon. These aliens are known as the Talani and... I sort of feel like if the Voyager spacecraft only took the Pippi Longstocking VHS as its only piece of media, and these aliens found Voyager, they appear to have taken it very seriously. Yeah, the it's the Talani and the Kellerin, and, uh, and I guess they've been at war for a really long time. They look like they're the same species, but maybe, you know, like they have the same earlobe, they, but they, they, do their, they do their hair a little differently. Yeah. They have very strong feelings about hairstyles. Very divisive in that way. Yeah, this is like, this is really like season one TNG alien shit that we're dealing with. The Talani really don't like uh, the Kellerins, and they also really don't like shake weights, which is what the harvesters are contained in on sort of like a freeway rack situation. Nobody that has owned a shake weight has ever had a rack for weights. <laughs> the thing about shake weights is you only need one. <laughs> yeah. That's the great thing about shake weights. I one time was on set um, and we were shooting in some office somewhere and there was a shake weight in the office. You know, we were like in the middle of setting up another shot. So I had five minutes to screw around and I picked up this shake weight and was doing bits with it. And uh, <laughs> the client was like, you know, those things are actually really hard to do. I bet you can't do that for a minute straight. And I was like, oh, fuck you. And I started doing it and it was super hard. And I was like 30 seconds in, totally exhausted and had to stop. <laughs> and uh, and then like another time I was on a different shoot with a different set and a different shake weight. And 
I like made the same challenge to somebody and they're like, yeah, sure. I'll do it for a minute. And it was like, no problem at all. And I was like, fuck, now I have to pay this guy $20. Oh no. Yeah. I think it was like a lighter weight shake weight. I think there were different grades and I was not aware of that. Yeah. That's not fair. Yeah. I hoisted myself on my own shake weight. (laughs) The fleshlight came after the shake weight, right? I got to believe that Donald Flesh, the inventor of the fleshlight, (laughs) looked at the shake weight and was like, there's got to be a way to sexualize this. (laughs) And then the fleshlight was born. Boy, I feel like I became aware of fleshlight before I became aware of shake weight. Huh. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Anyways, flashlight's got to be destroyed, shake weight's got to be destroyed. Not an easy thing to destroy. I've never seen a nanobiogenic weapon so resistant to broad-spectrum radiation. And Bashir and O'Brien, being experts, uh, have been dispatched by the Federation to help these formerly warring alien races, like, put to bed the most devastating weapons they had developed during their war. It would be like if... uh, you know, nuclear disarmament actually took place or something, I guess. I feel like if this were a TNG episode, this would be a Geordi and Data mission. Yeah, for sure. Are um, we made to believe that Bashir and O'Brien are the Geordi and Data of of DS9? As, like, chucklehead fun-time buddies, I kind of think that they are. Yeah. Like, they haven't gotten there yet, but I think that eventually they're, like, they are, like, good-time buddies that are always hanging out. Socially, I feel like they are, but in terms of expertise, (laughs) I might not have chosen them for this mission. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, so so they've been doing a lot of testing and a lot of of attempts have been made to destroy these harvesters, and they finally hit on something that works right at the opening of this episode, and then Ambassador Exposition comes in to... (laughs) Explain all of the stuff we just explained. This is a symbol of the new future we have embarked upon. Yes. I've got an idea about how to destroy these shake weights. Why don't you shoot them into the sun? I I literally wrote down, why not just shoot into the sun? What is their fucking problem? Like, do they need to do uh, some sort of weird accounting of the shake weights? Even if you had to do that level of accounting, you could still write down... Sample 49, shot into the sun. Check mark. <laughs> Sample 50, shot into the sun. Here's head camera. So anybody could beam it out of the uh, trajectory to the sun. And oh, you wouldn't yeah. be able to verify necessarily. Right. Yeah, I guess so. You got to trust but verify, Adam. <laughs> In all ways. Yeah. I mean, at, at least this time when the inspectors went, there were actual you know, chemical and biological weapons. Right. So uh, Ambassador Exposition clears out, and uh, I guess they're like, it's a celebration that they've figured out a method, but they still have a lot of these canisters to go through before their their work is done. Right, and that's got to be why Bashir's temperament is not celebratory. Like, they figure it out. They figure out how to destroy the harvesters. But that's just the first step. Yeah, yeah. And it's nearly time for celebration after a little elliptical edit where they're, you know, they've uh, they've cut from lots of shake weights on the racks to very few shake weights left. To one left in the middle of the rack, which I guess means they aren't going in any kind of order. <laughs> no, no, uh, nobody with OCD deployed to this uh, particular <laughs> contingent of scientists. Uh, yeah, just grab whatever. <laughs> Boy, did you and I notice this part. (laughs) Um, I started shaking. (laughs) They blow a call into Cisco and they're like, hey, bud, good news. We're uh, almost done destroying all these these bad, bad weapons. And uh, so we're going to head home early. And Cisco's like, why don't you guys stay for the party? You you earned it. And it's clear, like, it's kind of like when my wife tells us about, uh, like, a, a party that we have to go to for somebody in her family. I'm like, all right, but like, let's think about ways we could not go. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of what O'Brien is reading as. I think, I think Bashir's up for it. Cause he wants, uh, he, he wants to get down with a woman with a really fucked up haircut. Yeah. And because these Talani are in the background, they can't talk about what the code's going to be for leaving the party early. Like they're sort of put on the spot. 
Yeah. You guys have a code for, for leaving a place early? I have worked so hard to establish one, and my wife will just willfully ignore it <laughs> in, in a way that is really troubling. God, that is that is almost cruel. Yeah. Like, to be deploying the code and have the code not read. It's not uh. even that she's ignoring it, even. It's that, like, she doesn't even consider the possibility that I might be extremely uncomfortable and want <laughs> to run for the hills. <laughs> I think that is that is my problem with life, just in general. <laughs> no one considers the possibility that I may be extremely uncomfortable at any given moment. Why don't they consider that? <laughs> You've sort of built a life around the idea of considering that everybody else might be extremely co- uncomfortable. And, yeah. And nobody does you the same courtesy. I know. That's that's the problem. This this kind of empathy is untenable. <laughs> <laughs> so plans are made to party hardy it's party party and the uh the last canister gets put on the canister killer and uh no sooner has that happened it's like than- a trash compactor <laughs> <laughs> no sooner has that happened than this turns into an active shooter situation adam weapons aren't allowed up here and that made me think about just how many people have died whose last words <laughs> were those <laughs> Hey, is that a gun? (laughs) Not great. And in pretty short order, uh, people are getting shot left and right, leaving basically Bashir and O'Brien to do some crawl arounds, like army crawls, dodging these laser bullets. Yeah, and it's it's amidst all of this excitement that we see a droplet of red stuff land on Chief O'Brien's forearm. Yeah, because the gunfire blew up the dumbwaiter that they were using to destroy the shake weights. Right. And O'Brien's pretty heroic in this scene. Like, he, uh, he like, body checks one of the Kellerans uh, who's about to waste the yeah. doctor. And they manage to beam out of there, but they can't go back to the runabout for reasons. So they wind up beaming down to the surface of the planet below. Yeah, luckily for them, uh, they beamed right into a hut. (laughs) Like, of all the places to go, uh, good choice, guys. Yeah, so, like, I mean, one of my problems with this episode is maybe, like, how information is revealed. I felt like it was kind of out of whack because, like, they reveal that O'Brien and Bashir make it to this, like, bunker full of warfighting equipment and then... They cut to Cisco like getting bad news from the ambassadors that they're you know the two Starfleets that he sent are dead. Please extend our sympathies to their families. And I felt like it would have had more impact if we like like make me believe that they actually died, you know, so that it's like a relief when we see that they don't they didn't die. Let's workshop this. Like, where do you cut the scene? Like, do you cut the scene at the point where the the people come in and start blasting? And then we cut to uh, to Cisco's office where Sherat and Etirsha come in with their condolences. I think that might build some tension. I think so, yeah. Like, maybe even don't show the active shooter situation until later. Just have Cisco like, get called up to his office, show show what happens in the doctored footage because they get like we get to see the doctored footage of a a radiation pulse that vaporizes everyone in the room and like we get to see the whole crew reacting to it i think that's a fun thing and then like this episode does have good scenes about like them having to arrange funerals like arrange to get the message to bashir's Mom and dad, like Cisco has to go down and talk to Keiko about it. And it, it, like the weight of their deaths is real for the characters. But because of the sequencing of the episode, I feel like the idea of them actually being dead never quite hits us. The utility of the snuff film is so interesting to me because when the two Talani talk to Cisco about the accident, they almost uh, immediately. It's a Talani after- and a Keller in Adam. Just, okay. just to uh, avoid getting 10 million tweets. <laughs> they, they pivot from uh, condolences into, 
you want to see how it went down? <laughs> and then they show the snuff film to everyone in ops. Yeah. And then and then Keiko wants to see it too. What my question is, is that like, they know before offering the video up that the form of death is pretty sanitized looking, right? Like if this were a gore-based weapon, would they still be sharing the video of it? <laughs> Yeah. I don't think so. I, I mean, like... I was really surprised at how interested everyone was in watching this video, I guess is my point. If one of the uh, if one of the ambassadors had been Werner Herzog, like, would, <laughs> would the tape have ever been showed? <laughs> you must never watch it. You must destroy it before your death. They stick the video back into the PD-150 camera <laughs> and then, uh, like, hide it in a desk drawer. Yeah. <laughs> Like they they would have with this footage the same relationship that uh, O'Brien had with the information about how to make the weapon because that's the other thing is like they're trying yeah. they're trying to like clean the slate of any information about how the weapon was made or how it was destroyed like it's like anybody that wants to make this again will have zero information to start with right and this whole plan was fairly transparent in that first scene where as soon as the ambassador leaves, like the door hasn't shut for longer than a moment before it opens back up to to gun wielding people. <laughs> With the same haircut. Golden cotton. The cut. Golden cotton. So down in the bunker with O'Brien and Bashir, I mean, they're discussing like what the project is because Bashir wants to like go find somebody that they can run and tell what happened. And O'Brien is like, no, dude, like people with a spaceship just made an attempt on our life. The second we start moving around, they're going to know where we are and then we'll be super duper dead. Bashir's like, it's going to get very expensive. <laughs> If we leave this hut, we have got to stay here. <laughs> we cannot add another set to this budget. There's only so much budget between TNG and Deep, Deep Space Nine. We already stole 80% of their budget for this week for this show, building right. that spaceship. So if we if we add another set now, we're really fucked. <laughs> we got to hunker in this bunker, dude. Yeah, and it gives us a nice uh, odd couple episode between Bashir and O'Brien. And what's especially motivating in what happens with them and how close they become is O'Brien's condition, right? There's there's nothing like an illness to hasten intimacy between two used-to-be enemies. Yeah, it's kind of a Trek trope, too. Like, you know, putting Wesley yeah. and Picard in a shuttlecraft for a long time or in a cave for or a Beverly long time. Or Beverly and Picard. Right, and, uh, and just like, you know, see what comes out. It also felt like that episode where uh, Ro Laren... And Jordy were thought to be dead when they were phased out. Right. And the crew is left to, like, do funeral arrangements and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. And the dynamic between these two characters has a lot of things that are interesting about it. One of them is class, like, which sort of shouldn't exist in the 24th century, but it does because O'Brien's just a petty officer or whatever, and Bashir's actually, like, got a commission. Yeah. Like... O'Brien is is kind of a blue collar guy and he's like got a wife and kids and Bashir is a little condescending to that as a life choice initially in a way that O'Brien is rightly kind of offended by. Bashir is kind of marriage shaming him and then O'Brien comes back with kind of a not all career officers <laughs> make the same choices that, that you did, yeah. Bashir. But that conflict is really interesting to me because it just serves to illuminate what Starfleet life is like. And it's a subject that they rarely dig into in Star Trek in a weird way. Like, it's it's sort of hiding in plain sight right. what this life is like and what it costs people in terms of their families or their friendships. It's not that, like, I disagree necessarily with Bashir's reasoning on it, like... Like, it, it's this conversation that arises out of O'Brien saying, like, yeah, you just wanted to go out to that party so you could crush a ton of alien puss. I'm sure we mind getting some more of that Arcturian boom game. And Bashir saying, like, yeah, I do like crushing me some puss, but, you know, the idea of actually getting serious with somebody and marrying them is a position I don't want to put anybody in. It's sort of false to portray this as, like, a... Uh mutually exclusive idea right 
Yeah, and and also there's a certain falsehood in the idea that to marry somebody they necessarily are not part of Starfleet. Like mm-hmm. that's the other like kind of thing that goes unspoken, and that and I think that 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 is more normal in you know nineteen. 19- 94 or whatever when most people in the military are men and their wives are almost assuredly civilians i guess it's a metaphor for that like and i guess the military is probably still overwhelmingly male but you know some progress has been made there but like that's i think the situation this conversation is a proxy for right like right people who go overseas for the military or whatever like leaving their their families back home and asking people to to take on the emotional baggage of worrying about you all the time is a thing. Uh, at the very end of the scene, Bashir recognizes some symptoms that O'Brien has that cause him to whip out his tricorder. And upon tricording him, it is revealed that O'Brien has been infected with harvester juice. That is a problem. It's weird. Like this is the scene that I think leads right into Cisco going down to tell Keiko that O'Brien has died. There was an accident. And I feel like it's, again, like kind of the reverse of what it should be. I'm down to have that revealed that they're alive and okay. But then, like, Cisco going and telling Keiko that they've they've passed away is like a great scene and and very well acted by Avery Brooks and Rosalind Chow, but it's a little undercut by it's like, oh, well, he's dying, but not of that other thing, but of this new thing that neither of them is aware of, you know? It's like a little distracting somehow. I'm totally with you. If they flip the order of this scene and it was Keiko being told O'Brien's dead and then O'Brien gets the death sentence on the planet surface, I think that hits a lot harder. Yeah, it, it turns it into a double punch instead of kind of like a half punch. I thought uh, this was a great scene for both Cisco and Keiko. I, I think I agree. I think we've seen Picard give this kind of news before in a way that does not betray as much emotion as Cisco shares here. Yeah, like I think Cisco's willing to trade emotional currency with Keiko in this moment, and uh, I think that's what makes the scene great. Keiko, in her own right, does not, like, this news does not shatter Keiko. She instead is is hurt and curious. She also wants to see the video right away. Right. And also, like, is riding hard for, like, not spending this time with Commander Sisko. Like, she's like, right. she, she asks him to leave very quickly. Yeah. Which is, I think, pretty real, you know? Like, I don't. I don't know you that well. Like, I know you've worked with my husband, but I I got to be alone with these feelings right now is basically what she's saying. I've got to believe that uh, that's a relief to Cisco too. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> like, I don't even mean that as a joke. I just mean like, like that's got to be the hardest thing for someone in his position to do. And to be asked to leave, I think would be quite a relief. Yeah. I mean, who better knows the death of a loved one than Ben Cisco? Also... There's a certain credibility that he has in matters involving uh, death of a partner that I think is unspoken here, but I think is understood between them. I like that it's unspoken. I think it's yeah. It, it would be weird for it to come up in this moment because it's not about him; it's about her. But when you watch it, you know you can really feel the complexity of what he's feeling. That you are so right about that because. I, I know we know people like this or we've been in a, in situations like this where like you share the bad thing that's happened to you and then it immediately turns into a shared currency of everyone's similar experience versus the discussion of the original experience. And like good on Ben Cisco for not going, you know, I, I lost a loved one myself. I don't know if you remember that anniversary we had. <laughs> Uh, recently like that was a pretty big day for me yeah like good job by him it's not about him it's like that time that brandy glanville was super mean to kyle richards and lisa vanderpump is like yeah i know she was super mean to me on the last season and kyle richards is like that is not comforting right now lisa vanderpump (laughs) gonna be playing a lot of crickets this episode ben (laughs) (laughs) mr bucket i have to revert back to my 
So in the bunker, the chief is not doing great. He has really just turned into a puddle of flop sweat. And uh, he's like not seeing that well. It's my eyes that fuzzy. Fuzzy. So the the doctor has had to take over the radio repair duties. And um, like the doctor was talking a lot of shit about taking engineering extension courses at Starfleet Medical. There's so much opportunity in the workplace today if you have the right skills. Which uh, did not impress Chief O'Brien at all. And uh, and sure enough, like the doctor is, you know, not not capable of repairing this radio without a lot of uh, a lot of help from the chief. Kalamini is a talented actor, but I don't know that he does anything as well as you've got to be fucking kidding me face. <laughs> he has got a great one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you ever are casting a part where a character needs to have that emotion, yeah. look no further. <laughs> yeah. Top of the list. <laughs> if Kalamini is ever at a con and we're at that con and we're somehow able to take a picture with him, that's what I hope his face looks like. <laughs> oh, it will. It will, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> I won't even need to ask. <laughs> you guys have a what? <laughs> About what? Huh. It's a weird scene because they spend a lot of time with him just talking us through like fake techno babble about how a subspace radio goes. We also get a nice around the horn of like grieving on the station. Like we got a really good scene with Kira and Dax and Quark, uh, you know, talking over missing O'Brien and Bashir, and like in his in his way winds up finding a way to be kind of touching. They were good customers. They always paid their bar bills on time. This is a great Quark episode too, for this reason. They're writing him with a great amount of confidence in knowing who he is at this point. Yeah. It's the highest tribute I can think of. Because instead of writing him in a scene that shits all over those who are grieving, like he really does trade emotional currency with Dax and Kira in this scene. Right. To the degree that he's able. And he grieves them in a way that is like sincere and true to him, but is yeah. not true to them, you know? I can be thought. That's some real shit. I wonder if they would get plaques at the bar, like on the bar stool. Oh, yeah. Well, they did always pay their tab on time. Yeah. Like, what is that about? They have some kind of credit at Quark's Bar? Sure seems that way. They got the uh, the Quark's Bar Platinum card that only, uh, only certain com- customers are invited to apply for. I've got to believe you're not doing your own accounting there, and you're just charging it to the Federation, right? You must get some kind of stipend as, as a federation that is living on the economy, you know, like, oh, we're outside of a, a starship where we never need to think about money at all. Well, if that's the case, do you think uh, you think Cisco is making more than anyone? Because anytime he's in a replimat, he's ordering like 18 things. I know. <laughs> yeah. Like there is a certain wastefulness that total abundance would lead to, would logically lead to, right? Like... You never, you never have to pick just one thing from the replicator. This isn't making fun of people with eating disorders, but do you think that that's what this is for Ben Sisko? Like, why is he eating so much? I don't know. I, my friend, uh, I had a friend who was personal assistant for a while. Uh huh. And she told me one time that, like, most of the time, if he's hungry, he will find a menu from a takeout place and just say, "Get everything, and I'll pick what I want." Wow. And then just throw the rest away. <laughs> maybe we should oh, no. maybe we shouldn't put his name out there like yeah, that. Yeah, we but, shouldn't include that, uh, right? But you know, That's a bad. famous actor who most people have heard of. Not not necessarily the most famous actor, but uh, a famous actor who, you know, has the means to do that kind of thing. And uh and yeah, like I think if uh, if replicator is no object, like you never you never have there's no incentive to make controlled decisions at that point, right? As a card-carrying member of the Clean Plate Club, I just I <laughs> grieve for all of those menu items. That's no good. She told me one time, like one of her first days on the job, 
he took her down to the home gym where there was a wall with like hundreds and hundreds of bottles of Fiji water. And he said, this water has all uh, passed its expiry date. Please pour it out and then recycle the bottles. And so she spent like three hours just dumping water down the down the drain and then recycling all the water bottles. Oh, no. Yeah. That's making me sad, dude. <laughs> Let's pivot back to show. <laughs> Nothing happier than the show where Chief O'Brien has a, uh, a life-threatening bioweapon illness. I think it's interesting in this Around the Horn that that we experience grief with a few of the other main characters. Uh, and we also experience a type of loss from Bashir, because one of the subjects that Bashir and O'Brien commiserate about on the surface is the uh, is this continued idea of of whether or not marriage can be viable with a career in Starfleet and the lost loves and a specific lost love that Bashir had back at the Academy. And so it all starts when O'Brien asks Bashir, like, haven't you ever had a serious relationship? And Bashir stopped to think about it. And he's like, yeah, I think I've had one. And then he tells the story of this great girl he used to date and how there was a fork in the road of his life and career. And for a moment, he thought about not joining Starfleet and instead becoming a civilian doctor and creating a life with this person and how that was the road he didn't take. And he still thinks about it all the time. Yeah. What do you think about the decision he made? I think you can drive yourself crazy relitigating every little decision like that in your life like every decision you make can put you down a different road like yeah of course i think the the product of a flexible mind allows you to sort of daydream where your life would be if if you had made different decisions like for example a couple years ago you made a career decision to go whole hog on podcasting and you've never regretted anything more it's true I'm not sure I believe that Bashir regrets it. I think there's an ache in him about loving someone and then not being with them anymore. Yeah, I think he's. But more I don't like think exploring... he regrets his career decision. No, I think I think he he followed his bliss, and I don't think he's so much regretting it as exploring the the idea of regret through that memory. You know, like exactly. What's really interesting about his exploration here is that he never mentions that what he's looking for is another her. You know, like he's not trying to replace the memory with anything or anyone else. Like he's not chasing the dragon. <laughs> no, he's, uh, he's riding the snake. And uh... <laughs> His solitude is similar to Picard's, I think. Except, you know, like Picard is not quite the Lothario that Bashir is outwardly. Yeah. But I think there's... There's an ache in him that is familiar to what we came to know from Picard. He's not convinced that there's another Lego piece for him. It's sort of a self-imposed romantic exile, I feel like. Yeah, you don't think he's a uh, an incel? <laughs> That's not a thing, Ben. <laughs> and I refuse to use that word. One development that's taken place is that Keiko has discovered something that she thinks is amiss in the in the death footage, which is that O'Brien is chugging a coffee, and this took place in the afternoon, and O'Brien is very caffeine sensitive. She's like, Jim never has a second cup of coffee at home. You keep him up all night. And uh, they're like, well, well, shit. I wonder if this footage got doctored. Never even considered the possibility. Yeah, it seems pretty clear that the Bashooter film has been altered. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> That's all I deserved. <laughs> I think I gave you a little bit more than you deserved, to be honest. I'm, a, I'm an easy laugh, Adam. If you look at his coffee cup, it goes back and to the left, Ben. Oh, God. Back and to the left. Yeah, why did Talani open up that umbrella? Why don't you take your umbrella film and go somewhere else? Um, so they, uh, the team piles into Winnebago and head out to the uh, the scene of the crime, and it's uh, it's Cisco and Dax, and Cisco beams over to check out the room 
where it all went down. Uh, meanwhile, Dax beams over to the Winnebago that Bashir and O'Brien went out there uh, in and uh, inspects that. And the uh, she discovers like a gap in the in the logs that like somebody came on board and deleted something from the computer's memory which concealed that their emergency transport to the surface got uh, got edited out of the computer records. And now they've really got their teeth into this mystery. Like, yeah, there, like, there are too many fucked up things happening here for them to take uh, Bashir and O'Brien's deaths at, at face value. Here with seven minutes left, <laughs> yeah. they've discovered that, uh, that something is amiss. And so they bring this up to the ambassadors, and no sooner have they done that than... Chief O'Brien and Dr. Bashir get a little visit from both ambassadors and like a mixed set of guards who, you know, some Kellerans and some Talani. When you're looking for a couple missing people, you really want to bring a firing squad with you, right? <laughs> and that's a bi- that's basically what's about to go down here. They're like, they, they sort of exposition university them. They're like, hey, uh, part of the idea of our technology hygiene is using Lysol on everything and everyone that has ever known about this technology. And so I, I know you'll understand this. We've got to kill you so that no one will ever make these harvesters again. But at least you have the consolation of knowing that your deaths will be for a noble cause. And there's sort of a poignant moment where Bashir picks up O'Brien because he wants to die on his feet. And O'Brien pays Bashir a great personal and professional compliment about it being an honor to serve with him yeah and a a compliment that bashir does not reciprocate in this moment which i thought was again totally true to his character (laughs) yeah it's like it's a real drawn out moment though like when o'brien is like help me up the it's nice of the talani later be like let him speak (laughs) like he's gonna be dead in five seconds anyways like let's hear what he has to say (laughs) It's like zero hour, and uh, just at the last minute, they get beamed up to the runabout, and uh, the doctor's able to stabilize the chief. They do a little shell game with the two runabouts to trick the Talani cruiser into shooting down the backpack runabout, when in fact they're on the non-backpack runabout, (laughs) RSVP backpack runabout. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> and they get home. And, was it uh, the Yangtze? Is it the Rio Grande that they switch over to? I'm just going to go, we hardly knew Yangtze. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, we might want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they head home. Turns out it is not super challenging to cure this bioengineered disease that they had so much trouble destroying <laughs> and uh the chief gets to recover bashir finally reciprocates the compliment which yeah. i thought was another elegant way to do it like by giving him time to consider what had happened it changes his character in a way that seems uh realistic yeah and uh like keiko is there also and she is thrilled to have her man back I feel like her character has really, really noticeably in the last two episodes we've seen her in undergone a noticeable change. Agreed. Yeah. Like her tons now. However, Ben, the end of this episode. Real slide whistle. (laughs) I drink coffee all the time. What are you talking about? And then like Keiko looks into the camera like. (laughs) It is like the end of a Matlock episode. Miles, you never drink coffee in the afternoon. Sure I do. You do? Also, no resolution to the Talani Kalarin thing. Is there <laughs> what happened there? They yeah. just escaped them and then nothing? It's weird, like they there was that interaction where they were like, Well, I saw their ship blow up, so they're dead, right? Oh well, yeah, I guess they like like they know that they're not dead, but they're like almost agreeing to agree to not pursue it. They're like, hey, we're kind of a garbage one-off alien. Like, we're definitely never coming back, right? No, we definitely aren't. For their own good, they are, they choose to stay out of it and, and pursue the matter no further. Are these people in the Gamma Quadrant, or are they just, like, neighbors of Bajor? Like, who the fuck are these people? 
I don't know who they are, but they're pretty fucking dumb. <laughs> like that that ruse with the two with the two Winnebagos, I saw coming from a mile away. Yeah. I was like, this lady is an ambassador and not a tactically sophisticated captain. No wonder she didn't see this this coming. As soon as Dax and Cisco arrive on the scene, you know it's Chekhov's Winnebago. <laughs> did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, I kind of did. I, I felt like it was fun and positive character development for a lot of characters. Like, I think structurally it had some problems, but like I felt like you could almost take every other scene and just switch them, and it would have been like a little bit stronger of an episode. Mm. Aside from that, I... Uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it. How about you? I agree with you on a couple of points. I think this episode is incredibly sceney, and those are the best parts in just considering the scenes. Yeah. It's a great O'Brien ep. It's a good Bashir ep, but I don't think it's a good ep of the show. But I really enjoyed many of the scenes, and the work that this episode does in in building and advancing these character arcs and these characters... I, I think is strong and it, good. Yeah, that's the level upon which I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, you want to see if any of our viewers have enjoyed our work to the level of sending out a Priority One message? I would love to do that. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Matt. It is for Austin area FOD, but really just Josh. (laughs) The message goes like this. After months of gentle probing, I finally submitted and decided to give this stupid pot a try. Now I can't stop watching. (laughs) The FOD are an amazing group, so I really can't complain, but my work productivity has taken a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Anyway, really looking forward to the live show in Austin coming up. Thanks for this new addiction, jerk. (laughs) (laughs) See you in Austin, Matt. Uh, Josh. This will have come out after Austin, so we saw you in Austin, Matt and Josh. Thanks for being so cool and not at all creepy or weird. <laughs> You're hoping for that to become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Right. <laughs> much, like, like, much like we recorded before the pledge drive. Matt and Josh give great high fives and know when to end a conversation. They know when to uh, disengage and embrace. <laughs> uh, our second priority one... Uh, is an, another personal one. It comes from Imperial Mo, and it is for Caro, the best sister. It goes like this. Happy birthday! I couldn't be prouder of you. Uh, may this new year bring you an abundance of gold-pressed latinum, an unrivaled stack of isolinear chips, and a shiny new pip or two on the collar. Hope you can celebrate... With some Coco Nonos or some hot chocolate thick enough to satisfy even Deanna Troy's refined tastes. Love ya! What's the thickest hot chocolate you've ever had? Oh man, I've had some thick, I've had some thick hot chocolate, buddy. That's a that's a very Spanish way of, of drinking your chocolate. When it's thick like that, you you dunk a churro into that that drinking chocolate oh yeah it's real nice that's a that is that's all i really want to eat ever yeah a churro dipped into i was thinking about this the other day most spanish desserts i don't particularly care for and i also don't particularly care for donuts and yet churros i love hmm maybe you just need to be dunking more of these spanish desserts into chocolate yeah uh, there's a uh, a coffee shop in the West Village in New York called Joe. It used to be called Joe the Art of Coffee, and I think that they simplified their name a little bit. Right, because like the logo was just a hand doing a jack-off motion. <laughs> uh, er- early days when they first opened, they were like they were kind of one of the first third-wave coffee places in New York, and uh, they had a European drinking chocolate on the menu, which was I think just like cocoa powder in an espresso mug and then spray steam from the espresso machine into it until it was sludgy enough to sip. It was so fucking good, man. (laughs) 
What is a? How would you define a third wave coffee shop? Like if that's uh, a description that's uh, that's new to me. Like I, I maybe the kind of coffee shop that has the 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 beakers and the yeah and like the the verticality of of glassware. Yeah, if they're doing a pour over, if they're doing a like if they can achieve foam art in their <laughs> in their milky drinks. Uh, yeah, like if they're. If their iced coffee is delicious without milk and sugar in it, mm. uh, I'd, th- I'd say that those are kind of the earmarks. You know, the specialty coffee movement that assholes like me are totally obsessed with. Friend of ours, friend of the show, Mike Squires, is a is a professional coffee man. And uh, he ruined cold brew for me not too long ago by saying that most of it is made in the janitor's closet of whatever <laughs> coffee shop you're in. <laughs> <laughs> and that saddened me deeply. Yeah. But uh, thanks for that image, Mike. <laughs> and now, thousands and thousands of friends of DeSoto also have that image. <laughs> and thanks for these Priority One messages. If you'd like to get a Priority One message, you can head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. They really help us produce this show. A show that should be produced in the janitor's closet of a coffee shop. <laughs> hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! This is not a character Shimoda. I'm giving my Shimoda to the end of the episode. <laughs> because it was so shocking. As soon as Keiko just sort of looks up and, and gasps, <laughs> and then we cut to the exterior of the station... I gasped. <laughs> I was like, there is no fucking way they just ended the episode like this. And sure as shit they did. I thought, uh, like, much in the way that, that a Jim Shimoda was just stacking chips mm. and, uh, and, and seeing where they might fall. I have a feeling that uh, when they edited the show together, they were like, why don't we just try this out? I know this is going to be weird. <laughs> but I think you can end the show here. And then they did, and it played in the room, and then that's how they did it. It just, it just felt, it. it felt very unorthodox. Mm. What about you, Ben? Uh, I'm giving mine to Cisco this episode for that totally lavish order that he made at the uh, at Quarks. <laughs> yeah, it's clear coming in that we're like in media race. Like these are the last three things he's ordered, but he's probably ordered a dozen things before it. I'm picturing a like Lost Boys in Hook level uh, spread that Cisco is ordering for himself, and uh, I really laughed at the at the idea of that, the implied gluttony that was about to go down. I like that in the distant future they have not removed service industry from it. You know, <laughs> some restaurants are doing that iPad on the table thing, right? In Quarks, the Ferengis carry the iPad to your table. Right. That's nice. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24x7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. 
I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, uh, you want to see what's coming up on the next episode? I suppose we could. Next episode is season two, episode 14, Whispers. O'Brien returns from a security mission to notice that the entire crew has seemingly turned against him. Oh, man. This is a familiar feeling. Back when I had a square job, I would often come back from vacation and feel like uh, mm. everyone hated me for it. <laughs> uh, what does what does Netflix say? The about? Netflix one is basically the exact same description. It is, after returning from an assignment in the Paratus system, O'Brien notices that everyone on the station is treating him differently. Hmm. Well, this is fun. Yeah. The, uh, the, uh, the playing with paranoia. Mm-hmm. I think that can often make a good episode. I I agree. Uh, speaking of feeling paranoid, Ben, why don't we roll to see if we land on a square that determines uh, the fate of us while we record the pod? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. The fate of the furious. We're on square 41, uh, which means that we have our, our nearest whammy square is five away, and it's a quarks bar. Why don't you roll them bones, Adam? You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I'll sit here and click these clon peaks together. I'm feeling pretty good about my chances here. <laughs> and I like I like our streak of of standard issue episodes. I think we do a pretty good standard issue episode. Yeah, we're personally. not too bad at that. Uh, I rolled a three. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which puts us on square 44, uh, which is two away from Quark's Bar, but a standard issue Greatest Gen episode from you and me. All right. Looking forward to it, buddy. You and me both. All right. Well, that will just about do it for this episode of The Greatest Generation. If you'd like to... uh, Get involved in the conversation online. Use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. Adam is on there as at CutForTime. I'm on there as at BenjaminR, A-H-R. Have you heard? We actually have another podcast out. It's called Friendly Fire. And it's a war movie podcast that we do with our pal John Roderick. If you haven't checked it out yet, we've seen some really interesting and fun movies. And we've 
done a bunch of cracking wise about them. Yeah, that's a good show. Yeah, so if you haven't tried it out yet, uh, check that out for sure. Uh, we've got a bunch of, I think by the time this is out, our, uh, our bonus Red October episode will be in the donor bonus feed at uh, MaximumFun.org. Mm-hmm. If you would like to hear the greatest generation take on the hunt for Red October, and you're not already a member, you know what to do. You go to MaximumFun.org slash donate, get involved at the $5 a month level or up. And uh, you'll get access to all the donor bonus content. Hey, guess what? Your your support keeps the show going forward. It it makes sure that we can go out on tour a couple times a year. It makes the show possible. And so uh, every bit of support really helps. Thanks for that. It really does. Thank you. Um, we should thank Dark Materia for our original theme music and Adam Ragusia, who has uh, made all of the other original music on the show. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and another episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's wondering why you're looking at me like that. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.